Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. I'm here today with Shayla Peterson, LISWCP. LCSW, meet Shayla Peterson, a dynamic and inspirational licensed clinical social worker with experience spanning over two decades. Shayla, who holds licenses in three states, has dedicated her career to the noble cause of clinical social work, specializing in a vital and impactful niche. Her expertise lies in empowering Black women to overcome anxiety through a journey of self-discovery. Shayla's approach is unique and effective, focusing on unlocking inner strengths, setting personal goals, and achieving life-work balance, a concept she passionately advocates for. Shayla's commitment to mental health extends beyond individual therapy. She is the founder of TheraLeague Society, a platform she cherishes for its roles in combating professional isolation among BIPOC clinicians, and enhancing their social wellness. Her dedication to this cause reflects her deep understanding of the challenges faced by professionals in her field and her unwavering commitment to supporting them, along with co-founder Janae Price. But Shayla's ambitions don't stop there. She has also helped therapists in scaling their practices by building memberships. This initiative is close to Shayla's heart, as it aims to create stable income streams for therapists and amplify their impact in the community. When she's not wearing her professional hat, Shayla is an avid lover of the outdoors, cherishing moments spent with her husband, daughter, puppy, and friends by the beach or near any body of water. Her ability to balance her professional life with personal joy and relaxation is a testament to the life-work balance she advocates. Shayla Peterson is not just a clinician, she's a beacon of hope, empowerment, and inspiration in the social work community, and her voice is sure to resonate and inspire. Welcome to the show, Shayla. Thank you so much for having me, Renita. I'm glad to be here. Whoa, girl, what a bio. (laughs) What a bio. I am particularly impressed with your dedication to empower Black women on their mental health journey. I was recently speaking to another clinician who seemed shy to say out loud that her mission is to specifically rally for clients of color. You say it loud and proud. Can you tell me why this mission is so important to you? Yeah, well, and it's really a good question um, because even when I think about getting to the point where I could say Black women is who I'm passionate about serving. That wasn't something that we were taught in school, (laughs) right? Um, When I graduated from Cal State Long Beach, their MSW program, this is back in the 2000s, early 2000s. So things were just a little different. And so my journey to getting here um, to say, like, I just want to serve Black women. And so my reason is, one, we may not have had therapy growing up. Some of our other counterparts have, and it may have been normal in their household. My household is, you better pay about it. You'll figure it out. 
<laughs> go talk to somebody. And so to say that I'm an African-American therapist and I can serve other African-American women, that's exciting because now I've broken down a barrier where they can feel comfortable coming to talk to someone who looks like them who still may not have therapy growing up. But now here we are adults experiencing real life adult things, post-pandemic life, uh, pre-recession life, all these things, and that we can talk about it, marriage, divorce, grief, parenthood, all of those things are even taking care of our parents, being part of a sandwich generation, and that I can create that space for them to be able to comfortably talk and say things that maybe another therapist may not get, right? So if they tell me, oh, I'm feeling some kind of way, I know that that means they're experiencing some anxiety. <laughs> Or, you know what, I just can't trust it. I know exactly what that means. And they don't have to sugarcoat it. They don't have to code switch. They don't have to use any other language, but what is comfortable for them and that I get it and I understand and that I can start to help them on a journey towards healing in my virtual space as a therapist. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. I'm so thankful for you. So thankful for you and for that work. And I guess, yeah, I want to dig it just a little bit deeper, like, okay, so yeah, you're doing that now. And, if you know, it's needed, it's important work. But me, before we hit the record, but we were both saying we were old school social workers, right? We, were, <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't raised that way. We weren't raised that way in the social work profession, not just in our personal lives, but also within the social work profession. There was a certain way you have to show up in this profession. And it definitely is not saying that there is a preferred community that you're good at working with and that that's what you're going to, who you're going to show up for. How did you take that leap to just push past the fear and what was expected of you within the profession to say, this is what I'm doing? Yeah, one of them were, I got called out, honestly. <laughs> it's nothing like a good tap on the shoulder and say, hey, what's going on? And so I was actually doing um, a program and we were creating like posts or ads, something along that, that reflects who you wanted to serve. And I picked a generic picture, but literally all of my wording, what I was saying had to do with Black women. And they pretty much were saying, was like, well, Shayla, who do you serve? And I was like, well, women. And then they were like, well, it sounds like in your language that there's a certain type of woman that you want to serve, right? And it's like, so why do you have this generic picture here? And I was like, you know what? Thank you for that question. And this was a person, you know, um, who was not of color and that they called me out. And I really appreciated that because ever since then, I just went full forward. So it's just like, I'm just clear about who I want to serve. Even in the membership program that I have, I even switched there before I was like, oh, it's all therapists because our first two interviews or podcasts that we were on were people um, who weren't of color and they, you know, shared our information. I was like, I have to include everyone. And then I was like, but in reality, everyone has their own space and I am entitled to create a space that I feel that would be best for the people that I want to serve, that is safe for them and that we all feel comfortable, right? To say how it is and to talk about how um, our struggles and our strengths show up as a Black clinician in the community. And so I wanted to do that. And we switched the name, you know, especially when we went from their friends to Therily. And we were very clear about who was going to be in this community. Um, and it's also a natural part when you talk about just like marketing as a therapist or, you know, things that you have outside of being a therapist, we tend to attract who we are. 
Right. And so why not move into something that's natural? Why not? And so that's where it is. So for anyone who may be listening, they're trying to figure it out. It's just like, it, it's a process. <laughs> it's not one I don't think that'll come overnight um, because we're just trained different, especially if you went to school with your MSW when I did. It's like, you're going to serve everyone. You're going to learn about all these different things. And yes, please do. You need to learn. <laughs> and that it is best that we learn to serve everyone, but it's okay to niche down later on as you feel comfortable and identify what your strengths are and who you best work with. That's a whole word. We yeah. can stop the podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mic drop that was beautiful and you know what Shayla that's actually how I found at the time it was Thera Friends now Thera League um, mm -hmm. was because I was specifically looking for black clinicians who were doing what I was doing and wanted to be a part of a peer group and had you not changed the wording I wouldn't have met you and I'm so glad I did yeah. oh my goodness look podcast over tears cue okay <laughs> <laughs> but think about how many people we're going to miss when we don't operate in our gift or our strengths. We would have missed you and all the other people who that was their reason for joining too. Right. So. Yes, that, that absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you listened to, to your soul and did what you were called to do. Shelly, do you mind? Let's jump into your social work journey. Uh, what is your social work journey? Start from wherever you want to. How'd you get here and where do you plan on going? Yeah, so like the formative note started, I have a bachelor's in psychology um, and I remember even before college, I was like, oh, I want to be a, a doctor of like psychology, right? Or I know there's different ones. At this age, I didn't know all the differences. All I knew was like, I want a doctorate and I'm going to have a practice and I'm going to help people, right? And um, I didn't know how, I didn't know all the things. I'm the first generation person to go to college. So it wasn't this guidance, any of those things. Um, so, but I knew I went to school, received a degree in a uh, bachelor's in psychology, took a year off, um, actually ended up being two years uh, to go work for a foster family agency. And so when I was at this foster family um, agency, they were saying, oh, you should get your MSW, not your MFT, all these different things. And at the end of the day, everybody, you have to find which one works for you and what your directional track is. There's no better degree than the other, right? Um, but I just ended up working with a lot of MSWs and they really promoted it. That was the owner who was there who happened to be African-American as well. And so was the rest of the staff. So it was just a place that felt like family and that really cultivated me as a clinician early on. Um, and so I ended up going to get my MSW and I really enjoyed my program. Um, and, you know, during that time there, I was like, okay, well, I'll continue to work for this foster family agency. I'll look for other jobs later. So did foster family agency work five years, moved into the juvenile justice system, um, working for the public defender's office for another two years, and then took a break. <laughs> and during that break, I also had a, a child. And I remember looking at her, I was just like, oh my goodness, I have to really get it together. I have to get licensed. I have these hours. I haven't taken the exam, you know, and my family, we were traveling all over the place because my husband was in the military, but I knew I had to get licensed and getting licensed for me was the open door because after that, I was able to start working at private practices, learning what I like, what I didn't like, how I would love to run my business one day, who I want to serve, how I want to serve them, how they, how the leadership 
impacted, you know, uh, the other therapists that were there. So I just learned so much and just moved around to different agencies over time. And then I remember one day watching a video about having a practice online. And I was like, this is really possible. You can have a practice online. And I went through a program. It was eight weeks that taught you how to have your practice, how to do everything the right way, have your back office, all your forms, all the things that you needed. And I birth control shift balance, mental wellness, which was my practice. And so that's how my journey went. <laughs> and it's been pretty awesome um, to be able to serve. It'll be five years this uh, summer coming up and to have this practice and how it served me. Because I think sometimes the professional and the personal overlap, because I was able to have my own private practice, it's moved with me to three different states. As my husband was in the military, so we started off in South Carolina, then it was in New York, and then now we're back here in Florida. And so my professional and personal journey was able to like smoothly <laughs> come together. And I love that. Um, also, what getting my degree early on, having a private practice, what it allowed for me to do is also create other streams of income. Since then, being a support coach and some programs, also creating a membership with awesome therapists, right? Renita's one of them. So I'm so excited about that, the TheraLeague Society. Um, I've also been able to create um, programs where I teach other therapists how to have a membership as they continue to scale their practice. I also have digital products. I've written a book. <laughs> hey, sis, so all these things, thank you, that I wouldn't have been able to do without the foundation of my social work program, the friends that I made, the colleagues, the connection. And so, you know, that's how my journey has been. I wouldn't change it. <laughs> I love the work that I do. Um, and even when I think about future work is I'm also even looking at things that I can do that may not be clinical, but I can still be impactful. I think sometimes we feel like we get stuck and have to just only do clinical work. And I'm like, man, do you know, there's over 400 things that we can do as social workers. We're not limited to just private practice or doing social service work or foster family agency work or whatever it may be, or case management. Our options are endless. So, you know, my advice is always like, hey, get your license. You don't know if you need it or not, but go ahead and knock it out the way. Um, and then use this as a time for exploration for just yourself as you continue to help the world and, you know, continue to make an impact. Oh, that was so beautiful. I love it. I could sit <laughs> in the stream of social work all day long and just listen to this the journeys and the stories of social workers. I wrote down some notes because I want to ask you some questions and maybe we'll get to all of them, but I'm going to, I'm going to reel it back a little bit. Okay. One of the things I often see are social workers who take a break, whether intentional or non-intentional, and then they think that they're behind. I love that you, you, you kind of move past that. I took a break and jumped to how successful you are. So the thing is, people in the time of their break, social workers who are in that time of break, think that they're so behind. I'm, I'm curious, did you have that feeling when you, in that two-year span, when you were having your baby, taking care of her, did you feel like you were getting behind or did you always know that this is just a break and this is a normal part of the social work journey? No, I knew from day one that it was going to be a break. You know, I knew it was intentional break. It was like, okay, I'm going to take off this time. I've been working from day one, honestly, since 16. <laughs> and so to take that break, it was intentional. 
Um, but I think having my child and when I held her in my arms, that was the fire, as I call it, the fire underneath the butt <laughs> that said, okay, Shayla, what are you doing? You said, this is what you wanted to do. This is what you were going to focus on. And I literally, while, you know, holding her was like, let me call, let me call uh, Florida. Let me call the board. Let me see what I need. And then everything started to fall in place. You know, you talk about, you're like, man, it was just like the road just opened up. And so I had talked to even one of my advisors during that time who ended up um, being like a chair now at the, at the um, Cal State University of Long Beach. And she was like, oh, she was like, I'll write your letter. I know exactly what they want because I had to deal with Florida and they tried to give me the same problem wrote the letter, she sent it to the board and she sent it to me and she was like, invest the luck, let me know how else I can help you. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, okay, was able to take the test and then we moved to Tennessee. So then I was licensed there in Florida, you know, so then South Carolina came, North Carolina, you know, all the things. And even as we talk about, you know, taking those breaks and being intentional too about it, it's just like, it's okay. Everything that's supposed to catch up to you is going to catch up to you. There's no behind. <laughs> and even, you know, as we look at other people, some people start their um, social work career later or their counseling career or what they're doing. When we think about even a private practice, I thought that was going to be something I was going to do in retirement, that I was going to go work for social services. I was going to work for the public defender's office like I did. I did two years. And I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to stay here for 30, 40 years, and then I'm going to do private practice. I never would imagine that before age 40 that I would have a private practice, right? And so, you know, you're right where you need to be doing the work that you're going to do. So that would be my advice. There's no behind. <laughs> even there's no when, behind. There's no behind. And even when I thought I was going to take one year off for graduate school, I was like, okay, I just got my bachelor's. I'm going to take one year off. I'm going to work just to get some experience because they said you need experience in graduate school. It ended up being two years because I didn't want to do a four-year program. I wanted to do the expedited two-year program. So I took off two years and then I did the two-year program and everything worked out. <laughs> So, um, yes, I would say, you know, don't think that you're behind. Also, that it's okay to do the ground level work. I see a lot of folks coming out of their program and they're ready to jump into private practice. I will support them if that's what they want to do. But because of my old school values, I go, we have to get in and like with the shovel and do some of the work because that's what's going to allow you to be a better clinician, a private practice owner, if that's something that you choose later or any other program that you develop or program leader, manager, director, supervising social worker. How can we do that if we didn't do some of that ground level work? And so that's just my opinion, my strong opinion. <laughs> so a strong opinion about that too, Shayla. <laughs> You know, I call it and I sh maybe shifting the energy or the language behind it, but I'm like, I think there's a lot of value in paying your dues because then you get in there and you're dealing with clients in your private practice and you're dealing with clients, but you never dealt with it in the streets. Yep. <laughs> and, and so you're not sure what to do or how to be as effective. And then guess what happens? Imposter syndrome, because you're like, oh, I have this degree. I have these licenses. Why aren't I being as effective as I thought it was going to be? Maybe getting in them social work streets <laughs> might, <laughs> might be a little bit beneficial. I think there's value in that. I have a strong opinion about that too. Shayla, we have many 
Florida social workers who listen to this podcast. I feel so honored that the Floridians <laughs> listen. And I even uh, spoke briefly to a, a, a professor, I want to say UWF, um, about the Florida licensing, but I don't know nothing about it. I I am licensed in Florida, but through some, oh, yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind as much, because I know we're both old school, I know things change, but not that much, right? Um, do you mind talking a little bit about the licensing process in Florida? Because it is its own, it doesn't look nothing like no other state. <laughs> As much as you can remember, just kind of helping those students who are listening to this podcast in Florida and see that there is a clinician in private practice doing the dang, the dang thing. And uh, she, you made it through the licensing process in Florida. I did. And honestly, I did not have a bad experience. Now, mind you, when I received my license, this was back in 2013, 14. So this is a while back. And I came in through. So if there's someone else who's coming from another state, I had had all my hours in California. So in California, you need like 3,800 hours, 36 at least back then. And so I easily was able to transfer those hours over because Florida number wasn't the same as uh, California's number. And then I was able to have my supervisors just sign the Florida form. I gave them my old form, the California one, and said, hey, can you just uh, transfer them over? Can you sign them over? Does this look good? Please sign off on it if you're comfortable with that as my supervisor, because you have to have them on your Florida form. So that is that, making sure that all of your forms don't ever throw anything away, any state, any hours, make sure that you have everything. Stay in contact with your professors. Now that you have this degree, now these are, they're no longer your professors. They're your colleagues. <laughs> these are your colleagues in the field. Now, please respect them and give them their doctorate in front of their name. But <laughs> but still, like these are now your colleagues in the field. Reach out to them. Ask them questions. This is what they're there for. They want to. I mean, when I spoke with my professor, you know, she was just so excited to hear from me and see that things were going well because I didn't live in the state anymore. So I'm not coming to any events. So making sure that you stay in contact, you never know who you need to contact. Stay in contact with previous employers. They may have to re-sign for something, especially if your, um, your supervisor is no longer around right? So if they've transitioned, if you just can't find them for whatever reason, stand in contact with some of your um, employees that you've worked with during the time so that now you have another connection. So that's what I would say is, because I do, look, I help folks as well, therapists um, be uh, be licensed in multiple states. So it's like, keep up with all your stuff. Have a book. I have a book called Licensure. (laughs) <laughs> and it's separated like all of my hours, CEUs, things that I needed, you know, go through. I see a lot of questions in groups, right? When we talk about supportive groups where people are like, was it easy to get licensed there? Is it hard? Well, it depends. Do you have all your stuff together? You need your, did you take the exam already? Or do you need to take the exam? Do you have access to that? Do you have your hours? Who's your supervisor? Where's their number? Can you reach your college for your transcripts? All of those basic things that you need. Just start keeping up with them because if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. <laughs> oh, my mentor used to tell me that all the time. Oh, my goodness. That brought back one of my social work stories. <laughs> she did. She said he 
stay ready. You don't have to get ready. Come on, Trisha, with the word. <laughs> I love that. Yes, that was so good. I, the third question I'm going to ask about your journey, I'm not going to stay stuck on this too long, but it was so good. I mm -hmm. heard you say you're a support coach. You know, I supervise a lot of social workers here in Alabama and they, you know, I sometimes get that question, like, what's the difference between being a clinician and being a coach? And how do you keep those two things separate and or move in both worlds simultaneously? Oh, that is a good question. And we hear that one often. And so let's do it this way. So the when I'm a support coach, it is more for someone else's program. So Shayla, as a therapist, is not a coach because I haven't did all the separation of all the things. So all I have to do is show up. I teach courses like how to um, market in multiple states if you have several different licensures, how to have an effective consultation um, system, right? Because they will, oh, I don't do consultations. I Whoever calls, I accept them. I'm like, what do you mean you just accept them? What if they're not your ideal client? You're going to run yourself ragged. You're going to experience burnout. And so I teach therapists how to have a 15-minute consultation. And so I do all of that through a program, right, that I've graduated from. And so that's how I am a support coach. Now, some people may see me as a coach because I do share a lot of information. I teach, you know, other therapists how to have a membership. Now, that is under a different business, <laughs> It's a different EIN. And so you want to make sure that those things are separate. Why? Because the naked eye or the other folks, right, who are receiving services from you, they may not know the difference between a therapist and a coach. So I don't offer any life coaching. All of my coaching is related to business, right? It's helping others or I have the membership. So that's how I keep it separate. So I may not know how to maybe directly answer separate from like, a therapist and a coach because I don't provide that type of coaching. I don't provide life coaching. I do not say, oh, you don't live in my state. I can just provide coaching for you. And that's what I hear. And all of those folks know that that is not okay. They know that it's not right. <laughs> you need to have a separate business and you cannot say <laughs> because you don't live in my state. Now it is coaching. Be careful about that. Right. It may not be a lot of rules that's catching everybody, but all we need is a couple of bad apples to do the wrong thing or something not good happen. And then now there's a whole new policy and then we won't have it at all. So let's just do the right thing. As clinicians, we know what therapy is and you know when that person is not a therapy client and you've made them a coaching client. I hope that helps out there. That absolutely does. And what I what I also heard was and that is how the 400 things we can do as social workers expands, right? Like business coaching is you're, you're still doing your clinician work, but then you're a business coach and that expense. I remember I was an HR manager once I, I took a break from social yeah. work. And the, uh, one of the things that stuck to me in that season was our skills are transferable Right. Yeah. And so transferring those skills into other arenas and and like you said, having a separate practice to do that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I love yeah. look, when you said transferable, that made look that made my fight, my face light up because yes. skills are transferable. Right. Um, and it's our job, just like how we're saying to explain to clients that are coming in. Hey, I'm a therapist, not a coach. But the same thing when you're saying going to H.R., 
hey, these skills that I've learned from being a therapist, working with clients, looking beyond just the problem, helping them with conflict management, maybe they're having something on it, that you can go ahead and do those things and make this company successful and maybe quiet down some of all the chatter that's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Shayla, where do you want to go? Did you already answer that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so good. I don't want to move away from it, but where do you where do you see yourself as this beautiful clinician licensed in multiple states doing your support support coaching having these membership that I'm part of one of them at least teaching clinicians and still being a therapist what more is left for you to do <laughs> look retirement look <laughs> Let's <laughs> explain it. Yes. Right. Retirement, hopefully. But no, I really would love to. And such a great question because when we talk about teaching therapists how to have a membership, right? And the reason why I really like that work, and I want to move more towards that teaching therapist, because I enjoy teaching. I'm a natural talker. You know, I'm, I talk with my hands. If you can see, just imagine someone throwing their hands away with a bright colored shirt on, you know? So I enjoy the teaching, but the reason why I enjoy it is because I'm able to make a bigger impact and people who have a membership will be able to do that too. So as therapists, or even just social work, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work, maybe a family of five, maybe, you know what I mean? So it's like our... Ex our expand is only going to go so far. But with a membership, I can teach one thing to a hundred people, to a thousand regularly, monthly, and then also create some type of financial stability with that as well. And so I really enjoy that. I'm really, you know, backing that mission of like, I want to teach therapists how to have, you know, stable income and make a bigger impact. And so, and I think memberships are a great way to do it. And so that's where I see Shayla moving, you know, is really pushing that agenda. And it gives me more of a life work balance that I talk about, right? Where I am, you know, spending less hours in front of the camera or I've spent less time doing one-on-one work. I've been doing one-on-one work for 20 years. <laughs> so I would love to do that, to spend more time with my pre-teenage, you know, daughter, my retired husband and our little puppy and more time at the beach, which is why we moved back to Florida. Right. So that is where um, I plan to go. And hopefully during that time where I'm teaching other therapists about having a membership is I still get that uh, get that need fed of doing therapeutic work in a sense, because I go, we can still be therapeutic without providing therapy. Absolutely. I, I believe that with everything in me, we really can. Let's move into that, right? You were talking about the memberships, but as you know, and one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show was this podcast was about creating community with other social workers. And so I, I just want you to lean in, right? And just talk to us about what social work communities do you belong to? And I know that you've created some. And really, I'm, I'm curious, Shayla, what have you learned about yourself or the profession from participating in these communities? Yeah, so most of the communities that I have joined, it was because I was part of a program. And I'm really big on that because once we graduate from school, we're kind of like pushed out there like, okay, whatever you do next. And you're like, what? This is the real world. I have to get a job. I have to network. I have to work with people. 
all the things. And so and it took me a while to get it. I mean, it was a time where I thought I was networking and I really wasn't. If you know the people in the room, you're not really networking. You should really get in front of folks that you don't know. Uh, but joining the programs have been really helpful. Like I was part of Dope Therapist Academy. I've been part of Amber Lita's program who taught me how to have a practice online. And so through those programs, I was able to meet other awesome therapists of all different just colors and all different regions of the world, just all different therapists. And so that has been really helpful in terms of like shaping me as a clinician and made me more comfortable. And so one of the groups I was part of, I met some folks and we would meet on Mondays. We would set a time, kind of just like what we're doing now, right? And we're chatting and we're talking about life and all things social work, all things private practice and things. And um, one day I had eight therapists that I spoke to that day, every hour on the hour. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, this is like a client day. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we were just all on one call? <laughs> And literally, that's how my membership birthed, right? And then the pandemic happened. And so then it, it was really a need for that. And so during that time, I realized that if you were in practice, even pre-pandemic, and you had a virtual practice, there was like this professional isolation that was going on because you're in your office all day. Now you're talking to your clients, but those that that's not your friends. That's not your buddy. That's not your colleagues in the, in the break room warming up their lunch. <laughs> and so I was really meeting a need there that was needed. No one talks about that. Or if you're in an office together, you bounce ideas off of each other or you case consult. You know, I had this client, they brought this up. How could I have handled this? Or did I do something wrong? Or I'm really having challenges building rapport. But you don't have that when you're at home in your home office or you just have an office that you purchase somewhere that you go to and it's just you. And so building community helps with decreasing that isolation. You feel validated. You feel seen and heard because you have people to talk to. You have folks to share your wins with. Like, I love Win Wednesday. I get so excited when I see everybody put their wins in there, whether they're uh, joining different organizations, if they uh, have incorporated their business, if they finally created a business account because they didn't have one before, all of those things. I'm like, I am virtually high-fiving you. <laughs> and so that is what the community provides. It's this missing gap that we feel like we don't have time for, but we really need to make time for. And so, and although I've created some virtual spaces, I've been part of communities that we met in person. And that has been awesome because people you've been seeing virtually, you get to actually see them and give them a hug and high five and talk or even see their kids if they brought their kids along. So um, it's almost like we started developing like a family of therapists. And it's really needed, especially today. It can be so isolating to keep sharing information with your clients, right? And helping them through their problems. But then who's helping us? Who's our support? Because we can't talk to our family about it because well, there's confidentiality. <laughs> and so where do we go, right? We can get professional consultation. You have your peer, but it's also nice that when you, you're just meeting some friends just to talk about the professional struggles and the professional strengths as well. And you know what? Because one of the things that I love are therapists who um, have therapists. And so even talking to your therapist, it's, it's even still limited, but yeah. having a group 
of and go to therapy is, is beneficial, yes. but but still, we, one of the things that I I'm leaning into the energy of expansion. Talking to you, you keep talking about we do this, but we're expanding beyond it, right? And so the the group, the peer uh, that you've created allows me to see other people struggling with the same things. I'm sure. And that they did it. And I'm like, oh, okay, if they could do that, I could do that. Plus you get ideas that maybe you're not going to copy, obviously, exactly what they did. But you're like, oh, how can I bring that into my space and make it more mine? And then that keeps the energy of expansion going in your own practice. I appreciate the fact that you created that space. I really do. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you're a part of it. And yes, expanding. (laughs) Mm, I love that. I'm going to move on to this next question because I'm curious, uh, Shayla, what is one belief about social work that you started on this journey with that you feel has changed the most for you? That has changed. Now, I don't know if I can necessarily things have, there's been some things that changed, but I still remain the same on this one. So I remember in social work um, in school, you learn the basics, right? You learn cognitive behavioral therapy, solution-focused therapy. And since then, there's so many new things, right? There's EMDR, there's brain spotting, which I'm certified in, and I love it. But I always tell the new students, too, or the new graduates, I'm like, now, the different modalities might change. Your delivery of the things might change. But one of the things that needs to remain the same is you building rapport. I said, you won't be able to connect with any of your clients if you don't have the ability to build rapport and connect with them from day one. And that starts in the email when they reach out or when they come to your website or in that consultation. And that's one thing that I was taught and it still just sticks with me to this day. It doesn't matter which modality I'm gonna use today, (laughs) whatever it may be, if I can't build rapport with them, it's it's already lost. So I would say just making sure that you really focus in and hone in on those skills of connecting with them. Cause I think you can do uh, some great work by connecting with your clients than just all these other things, which are great. You need them, but I think you need that as your foundation. Especially our higher achievers, right? They come out of graduate school, they get their license, they get their clinical, they get all the certifications and then the that base that there's no certification in rapport building. <laughs> maybe that's your next for now. For now. All right. <laughs> oh, idea. However, I'm I'm curious, like I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit, Shayla. What is one way, just you know, we tell it, but then we don't show it. What mm-hmm. is one way that you feel like what's one of the easiest, quickest ways that you're able to build rapport either with another clinician and or a client you're serving for the first time? Yeah. So one of the ones is, so even in my consultation process, we'll just start there. It's a 15 minute phone call. The first five minutes, and I have them write out some things before. So I have a pre-consultation question, like what's your reason for seeking therapy? Have you been in therapy before? You know, tell me about how your anxiety shows up for you, you know, physically, mentally, all the things emotionally. So they're already writing down some things. So I already have an idea and that's getting them an idea of speaking about their strengths and their part where they need some support. So we get on a call, go, man, I read these things that you said it's pretty great, right? That you were able to express how this has been impacting you. I was like, can you tell me a little bit more in your words? I'll let you have five minutes to do that. And I was like, and then if you don't mind the next five minutes, 
I'm going to tell you a little bit about how my practice can help you, right? And then I said, the last five minutes, we'll see if we're a good match. I was like, and if we're not, I'll give you three referrals. And then if we are a good match, I'll let you know what our next steps are. And so now they already feel comfortable. One, because I let them know that this is how things are going to go. And that they get to control it. Like these first five minutes are all yours. Tell me all you want. And I'm and I'm looking at the clock too, because I'm gonna cut them off in five minutes because we got things to do. <laughs> but I have this system. And now they know like, oh, this is gonna be a structured place. She cares about what I'm going, you know, she cares about what I'm saying, what I'm going through. I read every consultation that comes in because I wanna be prepared for that call. And so nine times out of 10, they're ready to go for something that can seem so scary and so daunting, right? To start therapy if they haven't done that before. So that seems to work really well with like building rapport is allowing them to actually talk about what their concerns and problems are because they may not have been able to talk about it before or no one asks, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? So our biggest asset is our ability to listen. Our ability to listen. And you know what? Yes, I agree with all that. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but I had to meet myself because I was, mm-hmm, a little too much. <laughs> but the other, one thing that you do as well that I love that you do is that last five minutes, let's see for a match, you're giving the client permission to not choose you. I think sometimes people come in and they're like, oh, well, I'm here now. I got to I gotta stick with you. And I'm like, no, you know, let's make sure we're a match. I'm going to make sure you're a match for me. Because my time is just as valuable and you can giving you the opportunity to make sure I'm a match for you. And if I'm not, it's okay. I'm not going to get butthurt about it. Right. We're not because it's nothing personal. I just want you to get and I tell my go, it's nothing. Personal. I just want you to get connected with the right clinician for you. It may be me. And if it's not, that's okay. I want to connect you with the right one. Hey, I know somebody. I think they're in your state. I think they will be an ideal therapist for you. Do you mind if I give you their number? I can even give them a call and let them know that they're going to be hearing from you soon. Do you want me to facilitate that for you? One of our other jobs is to empower. How are we going to empower and we're making them our client and we know they're not an ideal client. That's why if someone says, look, uh, they don't do consultation, I'm backing up. <laughs> like, why not? This is their interview. This is their time. This is a commitment that they're making. And we should make it as comfortable for them as possible. Of course, with our boundaries, you know what hours you're going to work, but still. And we might have to refer out for that. We might be a great fit for them. But if our slots that we have open don't match, we need to refer them out. And I'm not going to change that because that's my boundary, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I love that so much. Jay, I could sit here and talk to you all day. This has been so great. And I even learned some things and I appreciate, you know, that I get to continue to learn and that I'm open to learning. <laughs> but I'm going to ask the, the last question um, as we, we close up today. Um, you've done such a good job of just speaking to our audience and talking to even the students who may be listening but recently, I was talking to a couple of social workers who expressed that after becoming a social worker, their personal values changed or shifted. I'm curious, Shannon, in what ways has social work changed you and what advice would you give newer social workers? What final words of advice would you give them? Yeah, so one of them, and I know we tend to separate like our values and our goals and one of the things I've realized is the personal is the professional and the professional is the personal. It's no separation. Like those same values that I have with my family or my friends, I have that with my 
practice, the work that I do there. If I'm saying life-work balance is important to me, why wouldn't I let you know that that's important to you and also give you the right to choose your appointment time, right? Or if I say family is first, but then you call me and tell me you can't make it because your child is sick or you're sick and I want to get upset. I can't get upset. I can't no show you for that. Like you're sick. Okay, cool. I'll see you next time. Here's the link to make another appointment. So a lot of my values, um, they bleed over into work and then work bleeds over the other way. The only one I can see that can be different is when I had a kid or when she got older, I didn't want to work with kids anymore. <laughs> That's it. And that's not a personal value, but that was just a shift in how my career moved, right? Because I enjoyed working with the kids. When you know, I was more flexible. I had more time. I can stay late. I can come to the office earlier. But as my life shifted, right, so did how I show up, right? And how I, my time, my efforts, all of those things. And so the personal affects the professional and the professional affects the personal. And so I think if you can sit there and just think about your life values, you'll realize they're not too different. I'm big on customer service. I'm big on customer service in my practice and I'm big on customer service in real life. <laughs> and so I expect greatness out there from customers. I will not deal with someone who doesn't have great customer service. And guess what? And I'm going to give great customer service in my life and in my business. So that's how it shows up for me. Perfect. That was so perfect. Thank you, Shayla, so much for coming on the Goddesses of social work podcast this has been such a great conversation and i'm just like so excited to to get this out <laughs> oh my goodness thank you again for the invitation um it was my pleasure mm. to be able to share um my social work experience and journey because uh, we're it's all different we mm. all have an experience so that you're given a platform to allow folks to come on and share their story and for others to hear uh, it's amazing and all i had to do was say yes yeah. <laughs> it was an easy yes it, I'm so glad I asked. And you know what? This has truly been one of the honors of my life to be able to listen to the stories of other social workers and share them with others. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.